0: In the course of living what often feels like a boring grown-up life, you've ever wished that you could go back to being a kid, or at least remember what that was like, I have a solution for you. No, I can't give you a time machine. Sorry, but I can suggest that you pick up a middle-grade book. There are many authors who have done a fantastic job of depicting childhood in a nearly perfect way. With her Anastasia Krupnik series, Lois Lowry is surely one of them. The first of the Anastasia Krupnik books, which is called simply Anastasia Krupnik, was published in 1979. Over the course of the next 15 years, Lowry would write eight more books about the life and times of Anastasia, a precocious, cheeky, and sometimes dramatic kid growing up with her wildly cool artistic parents in Boston. There are no fantastical journeys or magical quests, just a relatable girl dealing with relatable things and providing plenty of comic relief along the way. In book one of the series, which we dive into in this episode— Anastasia is dealing with things like a new baby brother, an ailing grandmother who makes her a little uncomfortable, a fleeting interest in Catholicism, a teacher who doesn't appreciate real poetry, and her first crush. She captures her feelings about all of it in a series of lists printed at the end of each chapter. One of the lists tracks everything she likes at that particular moment, and the other tracks everything she dislikes. Which of the two lists will be longer by the end of the book? You'll have to read the book, or at least listen to my conversation with this week's guest, Kayleen Schaefer, to find out. Kayleen is a journalist and the author of the best selling Kindle memoir, Fade Out. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, Vanity Fair, the New Yorker, Vogue, and many other publications. She currently lives in New York City. Text Me When You Get Home is her first book, but you're going to hear me fangirl about it plenty in just a few minutes. Follow Kayleen on Twitter at Kayleener and on Instagram at I Know Kayleen. Visit her website at www.kayleenshafer.com or get a link to purchase Text Me When You Get Home in the show notes for this episode at www.ssrpodcast.com listen slash episode 46. While you're over on the SSR website, you might also consider becoming a Patreon sponsor by clicking support at the top of the page. Joining our Patreon community means that you get to play an active role in keeping this pod going strong. As an independent podcaster, I value those monthly contributions so much. You can contribute as little as $1 per month, and in return, you receive a handful of exclusive rewards. Go directly to www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast to get involved. You can also get involved on social media. If you're not already, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ssrpod and on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. Share that you're tuning in by taking a screenshot of the episode you're listening to and posting it to your Insta stories, tagging ssrpod before you post. I can't wait to see. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to The SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Hi, Kayleen. Welcome to SSR.
1: Hi. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm going to fangirl for one quick second because I'm a huge fan of your book, Text Me When You Get Home. We read it in my book club last year, and I just have to say, like, quick digression from the book we're going to talk about for today's episode, because this is a book club with some of my, like, best friends in the whole world, and our meeting about Text Me When You Get Home, it created all these conversations about things that we had never talked about in the years that we've been friends. Um, We talked about, like, high school and middle school and, like, all these friendships that we would had throughout our life, so... I highly recommend that book to listeners and I just want to thank you for writing it. Thank you so much for that.
1: Oh my gosh, thank you for reading it. Thank you for getting your friends to read it. That is what I most wanted when I wrote the book was, oh my gosh, people will pass this on to their friends. That would be the thing I'd most want and that's what's been happening. It's amazing. Yeah, I recommend it to a lot of people, especially people
0: who are looking to sort of like broaden their nonfiction reading Mm because I think it's like the kind of thing that people who are craving like a journalistic take on something wouldn't necessarily know to look for. But I'm like, now that it's out there, you have to find it. You have to read it and you're going to love it.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I wanted to make it. I mean, it's nonfiction, obviously, but there's some really boring nonfiction books out there. Seriously, <laughs> so my whole goal was like, yes, nonfiction, but not boring. So hopefully it reads more like fiction.
0: Well, and now we've really officialized the text me when you get home rule in our friend group mm-hmm. and we say it all the time. So just had to make sure I said that up front. Huge fan of yours and thrilled to have Thank you on you. the show. Thank you. And today we're talking about Lois Lowry's Anastasia Krupnik, which feels like the wrong way to say her last name. I don't know if it's like Krupnik, Krupnik, either way, it doesn't exactly sound pretty rolling off the tongue.
1: I've been saying Krupnik.
0: Okay. Yeah. I think that's right. That's
1: right. All right. We're going to go with Krupnik,
0: Anastasia Krupnik. Um, It was written in 1979. It's the first book in a full series of Anastasia um, books. I kind of think that this is sort of Lois Lowry's unsung series because she's so well known for The Giver and Number the stars Mm -hmm. and I feel like Anastasia has a little bit more of like a cult following or at least it's not necessarily the Lois Lowry book that you remember and yet Mm -hmm. when I like post a picture of it on my Instagram all of these people were like oh my god I totally forgot about Anastasia but I remember being obsessed with her.
1: Hmm. I think people may not associate her with Lois Lowry. I, that's the way I felt. I was like, I absolutely know Anastasia, but I didn't necessarily pair her with Lois Lowry for some reason. but It's the exact reason you said that that's her lesser known work. But, but Anastasia is, she, I mean, she's an iconic character.
0: Can you tell me a little bit more about why you chose this book to read for the podcast and like any memories you have of reading it the first time around?
1: I think that's exactly it. It was the attachment to the character because I didn't remember so much about her, but I knew her and I remember her, I guess plucky is the right word. Like, that's I a good word. I remember her being plucky. <laughs> I was like, okay, that sounds fun. But yeah, I, I had no memory of what the actual story was about. And there's not really anything
0: super memorable or remarkable about the plot, which is sort of one of the things that I like about it. And we've read books like this for the podcast before where there's not like a huge moment that happens in the book. There's no like huge drama or tragedy or anything like that. And sometimes, you know, I've gone into those recordings being like, what are we going to talk about? But I found that sometimes these books that are just kind of about like growing up and the normal things that happen to you when you're a kid and Mm -hmm. just like dealing with your family and dealing with school, like there can actually be so much meat in a book like that. Um, So I'm excited to have a chance to read this. I was into Anastasia as a kid. I don't I think I realized the first time I got into it when I was little that it was a series so I feel like I jumped around like I definitely didn't read this book first I mm-hmm. distinctly remember Anastasia Absolutely which was the last book that's of the, the last nine. one yeah yeah I feel like that might have been the first one that I found I'm sure hmm. I just like grabbed it off the shelf at my library at school and like maybe that was the only one available and I think I just kind of like jumped around but I also remembered her too like she seemed very different to me as a kid she was so different than the other heroines that I was reading um mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the, like, think piece sort of things that I read in preparation for our recording today uh, mentioned Ramona Quimby as sort of Mm. the girl that Anastasia is always playing second fiddle to. And I I kind of agree with that. Like, people really remember Ramona and she was sort of like the iconic middle grade gal. And I think Anastasia, unfortunately, maybe sort of was like a background character to her.
1: No, you're totally right. I did not think of Ramona until you brought her up right now. But I have a much more vivid memory of actual scenes and incidences in the Ramona books than I do in the Anastasia one. So I think you're, you're exactly right. There was something Yeah, for whatever reason, Ramona had a little edge over Anastasia. I think there were more books
0: in that series I also think there's something about like the Beezus character Mm -hmm. and that's Ramona's sister like just the name Beezus Mm
1: -hmm. was memorable
0: we actually read Beezus and Ramona for the podcast a couple of months ago so I reread that and I actually found Ramona really annoying and I really liked (laughs) Anastasia so I'm gonna say as an adult at least Anastasia totally wins for me and I enjoyed coming back to it as an adult I really enjoyed the intro by Lois Lowry in this edition. I don't know if you have the um, I do, the, new the one, one with the new
1: intro, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to read one sort of brief excerpt from it because I think it kind of like sets up the book as a whole with Lois Lowry talking about what she was thinking in putting this book together. It's worth noting that she wrote it after she had, she was in the thick of writing all this like super heavy stuff. Kayleen and I mentioned up front mm-hmm. that like she's known for Number of the Stars and the Giver, which are obviously very different kinds of books, and she wanted something a little bit different, which Anastasia definitely is. And in the intro, she writes, and I gave her the kind of family artistic, intellectual, funny, and the kind of home, book-filled, messy, colorful that I admired. As for her adventures, I gave her none, really. I gave her, instead, the small <laughs> things that make up an ordinary life. The little heartbreaks and disappointments, the tiny misadventures, and the moments of family affection. The krepniks squabble, and they laugh about it later. They make mistakes, and they laugh about it later. Anastasia sulks and threatens to run away. She changes her mind, and they laugh about it later. She falls in love and out of love and tries to understand love, and in the process, she is surrounded by it. And I think that sums it up really nicely.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure.
0: Let's talk first about her family because we kind of are introduced to her parents right off the bat and... Having finished this book yesterday, I'm still kind of like thinking about her parents more than anything else. What were your thoughts coming back to the book as an adult on Mr. and Mrs. Krupnick? Myron is her dad's name, which really is memorable. Myron Krupnick, and he's a Harvard Mm -hmm. professor. Her mom is an artist. They're super cool, like 70s parents. Mm -hmm. What did you think about them on this reread?
1: I mean, I was really into them. I, I did not have such cool parents. You know, I was raised in suburbia. My parents are pretty. Pretty average there's the one part where um she threatens to become catholic in, like, I'm not spoiling anything because that has nothing to do with anything, really. And spoilers and are par- totally allowed, also. Okay. And her parents are sort of like, okay, you know, get back to us on that. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> See how you like it. Get back to and it. And it's just such a casual way of parenting, and they know she's not going to go through with it. But I was reading it, and I was thinking, God, my parents would be freaking out if I came and was like, I'm going to be another religion. And there would just be all this hand wringing, and are uh, just like, no, you're not, you know, and they're just sort of like, well, whatever will be, will be. Yeah, they definitely let her figure things out for herself, which I liked. And I liked
0: the way that they talk to her. They definitely play this game with her where they talk to her like an adult, but it's almost like they have the strategy in mind all the time about like how they really want her to get out of a situation. Like mm-hmm. they, they are very strategic with her, which I thought was fun to read. And I don't have kids, but I think like if I ever become a parent, like these are kind of the parents that I want to be where it's like, I'm going to talk to mm-hmm. you like you're a human and hopefully Mm -hmm. we can reason through this together. My favorite example was when she threatens to move out because they tell her that they're having a baby Mm -hmm. and she's 10 years old. So like, to be fair, this is a huge change for her and she's (laughs) definitely used to being the only child. She says, you have probably been thinking some about we're going to put this uh, baby boy in this extremely small, extremely crowded apartment. It can have my room because (laughs) I'm moving out. Excuse me, I have to pack. And she's so dramatic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then I think it's her dad who says, the baby won't be born until March. So there's no need to hurry into making a decision about moving out. I would think that you'd like to stay through Christmas at least. So like they're just kind of they're really smart about how they convince her to do what they want her to do. And they they're really good at just like calming her down and trying to have adult conversations with her, which I
1: thought was really fun hmm And I have to say, as a writer myself, there's the part where um, she's a poet and she writes poems and she does this very, very nice poem yeah. for her, like what is it, fifth grade class. Yeah, her fourth teacher grade. hates she's it so fourth smart. grade class. Yeah. And her teacher hates it because it doesn't rhyme, but it's this beautiful poem and she goes home and she reads it to her dad, who's also a poet, and he says, you know, some people don't understand poetry. And at first there's like, oh my gosh, is he talking about her? But then, of course, he's talking about the teacher and telling her, you know, to keep on writing and that, you know, their teacher's criticism is not, it's art, it's not the end of what she should be doing. And again, like going back to my childhood, I could definitely see my parents being like, no, the teacher is always right. You know, you didn't do the assignment. And I just love that that freedom, like that's exactly what we're talking about, the freedom that they keep giving her.
0: Yeah. And he doesn't even couch it at the end by being like, but also you should probably try to get a good grade, you know, because I was sort of waiting for that stepping stone for him to be like, yeah, you're right right but also like you kind of have to play by the rules because I'm a Harvard professor and I want you to get A's there was none mm-hmm. of that like he just really mm-hmm. encouraged her creativity and I agree I thought that was really cool but they, they weren't super judgmental about it which I liked like they weren't Mm-mm. being nasty about other people he was like some people just haven't been educated and I thought that is again sort of like a sophisticated way to talk to your kids talk to your 10 year olds about something like this <laughs> for sure and just to make them understand like look you're lucky that you understand this kind of art and not everybody has had your privilege. Like, let's figure out how you can celebrate that without taking away from anybody else. Mm -hmm. Her mom was interesting too and is this really cool artist she's pregnant and something that like did not age very well in the several decades since this book came out is that Anastasia upon finding out that her mom's gonna have a baby is immediately like you're way too old (laughs) and I do think it's funny because I guess in 1979 35 probably was on the older side to Mm -hmm. have a baby but now like that's fairly normal, I would think, especially in, in a city like Boston where Anastasia lives. So I, I definitely like flagged that as something that Maybe would have shocked young readers in 1979, mm-hmm. but I'm sure there's lots of kids reading this book today who have parents who are in their 30s who are still having kids.
1: Yeah, I read that on the back cover before I knew how old the parents are. I think it says, "Oh yeah, it's like," and then her parents inform her that they're going to have a baby at their age. Exclamation mark! And I'm like, "I bet they're 32." <laughs> <Like, laughs> I don't know how old they are at that point. And the dad is 45, which is interesting. The the mom is 35, and the dad is 45.
0: Yeah. The the only thing that didn't compute for me there and, and this is sort of, this isn't quite on the topic of what we're talking about, but Anastasia's grandmother, who is her father's mother, is 92. Mm-hmm. And I, that didn't quite add up for me. Whatever. Low salary is, is amazing and can do no wrong. But that was my one thing I was like, <laughs> that math doesn't quite work. Maybe he's adopted. I don't know. Maybe there's some other circumstance. But the 92-year-old's grandmother and the 45 year old father, that seemed like a big stretch for 1979. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to yeah, try not to right. overthink it anymore. That that was just me, like, being obsessive about the numbers. Her mom was cool, though, too, because she was really honest about things um, that I think moms even today would be a little bit cagey about. They have this really interesting conversation at, at one point where Anastasia, who's, like, very imaginative and, and very dramatic and very romantic, asks her mom if anything exciting has ever happened to her, specifically if she's had any love affairs. And her mom is really open about this, like, relationship that she had with a man before Anastasia's dad. And she tells this whole story about how they met and how they are really different and how they went and had their fortunes read and like ended up with these wildly different fortunes. And I really liked that. Like, I liked this mom who was leveling with her kid and not trying to be like, well, no, I didn't know love until I knew your father. (laughs)
1: I actually thought that part, I thought that part was beautiful too. But I also thought, is this for adults? Because it just seems so adult. Like, I really did think it was that lovely. Not that you can't have lovely writing for children, but it, it didn't seem like a little bit of a stretch for a mom to have that conversation with her 10-year-old. But maybe not. I don't know. And I, I mean, I enjoyed it, and, and I liked that she was doing it. But I was sort of like, is Lewis Lowry writing for the moms out there? Yeah, I don't know that I would have enjoyed it when I was, like, <laughs> nine reading this. Right. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. But I really liked it now, so... Yeah, I don't know, I did have that thought when I was reading that section though. Because yeah, she talks about them like getting caught in a rainstorm and like jaunting off to some city where he had a work conference. Yeah, <laughs> and they just, like got <laughs> a hotel. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was very specific.
0: Yeah, she really got into the details, and then they were talking about like her father who has all these books of poetry published, like in one of the books of poetry, I think his first book of poetry, the dedication is to Annie, who is Mm -hmm. some woman, this mysterious woman that Anastasia is sort of like obsessed with the idea of her because she doesn't know who she is, and then the subsequent books are dedicated to Anastasia's mother and then to Anastasia, but at some point she really like pushes her dad to talk about Annie as well, so like I wonder Mm -hmm. if some of it is this function of her being an only child, because I think sometimes that changes the dynamic a little bit too where it's like they're just more used to leveling with each other. I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm. Her dad, if you'll notice, gives the way more parent answer which is he starts out as I've never loved anyone but your mother and then when she asks him about Annie because she she knows about the dedication she's seen it he does not go into that much detail. I don't even know that it's more than a line or two which is like hey yeah Annie was pretty great <laughs> then I met your mom. Yeah, and he, he takes it down with the detail. He's kind of
0: jealous too like at one point Anastasia is talking about the boy at school that she has a crush on mm-hmm. which that's a great conversation to be had but she asks her mom if like she ever had a crush on a kid in school and separate from from the story that she just shared about like the lawyer or the finance guy who swept her off to a work conference into a hotel her mom talks about a boy that she had had a crush on when she was really really young mm-hmm. and the dad gets like weirdly territorial and jealous <laughs> about it. he's like I can't talk about this right now I'm like dude you've been mm-hmm. married for like probably 12 or 13 years. I think mm-hmm. you can move past. Why are you jealous of this kid that your wife dated when she was in middle school?
1: Yeah, it is a funny interaction. And she keeps goading him. She says something about how the kid had this great head of hair. And of course, the dad is almost totally bald now. Yeah. <laughs> He's really irritated by that. And Anastasia's sort of like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. And to your point about the age, the ages of
0: her parents, I, I was just thinking about this. And it kind of just came to me like it was really kind of progressive for Lois Lowry to have these older parents in the 70s. I mean, that sounds ridiculous to say now. And I feel weird saying it, but I think about the other books that I've read for the podcast that were written around this time period. Like all of the parents are in their like late twenties with hmm. nine and 10 year olds, maybe early thirties. But the sense is that like all of the moms are like really young and like fresh and blonde and like always looking perfect. And, mm-hmm. um, just like always have their act together a hundred percent of the time. And I think it's, it's kind of interesting that these parents, they just, they do feel so much more real and like the mom always has paint on her face and like is always a little bit of a mess and she's a little older. Again, the fact that 35 is older for having a 10-year-old is crazy to me now, mm-hmm. but relative to other literary parents, her mom is like on the slightly older side for this era and I think it's neat that like that's very clearly stated. Like we know exactly how old her parents are and that that's deliberate that we know that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you're right. She shows, like, when there's the scene of her trying to set up the nursery and it's just not going well and she keeps, like, hitting her thumb with the hammer and losing nails and you can just feel her real frustration at being a mom and having to deal with all of this. Yeah, and she, I think
0: she threatens, she's like, if you don't stop this right now, Anastasia, I'm going to kill you. Which, yeah. in the moment, right. I was like, whoa, that's really extreme. But, like, I think a lot of moms probably get to that point, are pretty damn close. And uh-huh. so the fact that she just said it, I was pretty, pretty cool of her, I guess. I mean, for a writer to put that down, um, I think is very honest. And I think Anastasia was being really annoying. She's being the worst. Like her mom is like nine months pregnant and setting up a nursery yeah. in a closet, with and then her husband is like bugging her about a dinner party. I'm like, why are you guys having a dinner party when you're like three weeks out from having a baby? And mm-hmm. this this is all out of control. Anastasia just like won't chill out. Yeah, she definitely has moments of like doing the cry for attention thing which I think is like very typical in books and in movies of you know kids who are like expecting a sibling and she is 10 years old and I related to her a bit because I have siblings that are much younger than than I am uh, one of my sisters is 6 years younger than me and the next is 8 years younger than me and okay. then after that I have a sister who's 10 years younger than I am and so you know luckily before I was 10 I'd had preparation having these other two sisters be born but I was thinking about like if I hadn't had those other two sisters to prep me I think being 10 years old and suddenly having a baby in the house would be extremely jarring Mm -hmm. so I think she handles it like mostly pretty well but she has her moments where there's some cries for attention there
1: oh for sure
0: the one thing that I kind of felt was missing in terms of relationships with Anastasia, we've talked about her parents pretty extensively. She doesn't really have close friends. Like She has Jenny, who is mostly involved in the scene that you referred to earlier about um, Anastasia thinking that she might want to become Catholic. But I mm-hmm. kind of wanted there to be more interaction with her friends, and maybe we see that in other books. But I did feel like relative to, to other books for this age group, we were kind of missing out on like the friend piece.
1: Yeah, I felt the same way. That friend is there for the Catholic thing and for the um, the crush on the boy that you talked about. And then she just disappears. Like, she's completely gone out of the book after that. And a kid
0: like Anastasia would have friends. She is really outgoing and definitely... Makes a statement at school. Like she makes herself Mm -hmm. known. There's no way that she's kind of floating through the hallways without a social group.
1: Yeah. And the only scene I think that you, well, you see her at school trying to get that boy's attention and giving the, and telling the poem, but I don't actually think we see her. At school, any other times, so there's very little of that. It's mostly her at home.
0: It's mostly her at home. I think even the scenes at school are mostly like reflective. We don't. I get maybe there's a few scenes that are sort of in real time of her with the teacher who she hates, Mrs. West Vessel, But mm-hmm. I wanted to know more about how she acted with her friends because, like you said, Jenny, her friend, it's all, it's such like a device more than anything that she's there mm-hmm. to like further this conversation about Catholicism. And I, I actually really, <laughs> I really appreciated that scene. And I think a lot of kids could. Really to it, it reminded me a bit of "Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret," which we did an episode on a couple of months ago. And that book was written nine years prior to Anastasia Krupnik. So I wonder, like, you know, if there's a little bit of an inspiration for Lois Lowry there—the um, fact that Anastasia just kind of like suddenly decides that she needs to be part of religion when her parents are clearly very secular, and that she chose mm-hmm. Catholicism, which fittingly for her personality has sort of all of this like pageantry associated with it.
1: Yeah, I actually thought that there would be more than her learning about it. And then they uh, they don't even go to a service. Her friend says, oh, no, today's confession day. And, and you have to go to the priest and tell him what you did wrong and say you're sorry. And she immediately balks at that. She's like, well, I, I, I didn't do anything wrong. Um, and then it's kind of, it's just dropped, really. And the real heart comes from that Wordsworth poem, I think, um, which I guess I'm skipping ahead. But but the Catholicism thing is dropped pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, and it's so much of it is rooted in, like, the white dress. And I remember very clearly in elementary school, my, my best friend was Catholic. She was mm-hmm. going to all of her communion classes And I wasn't raised particularly religious, and so I didn't really have, like, any milestones on my, like, quote-unquote faith journey or whatever. And I remember, like, all the Catholic kids in my class getting to miss school on certain days, and then all the (laughs) girls would come in, and they had these pictures of them with the white dress and the veils on. And, like, when you're eight years old that seems pretty cool because it's like a production. And So I think when I read this growing up, that probably made a lot of sense to me. Like, oh, you want to be part of the religion where you get to wear their pretty dress and miss school for Holy Communion? Yes, that totally... That tracks.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point. That makes sense. I grew up in Texas, so a very religious state, obviously. And I was raised Lutheran. And I, but I had some friends whose parents weren't religious, and they didn't go to any churches um, or, or go to any services or anything. And and they had spoken about how they felt left out. Like that was where you also like met other kids. Like I had church friends. So now that you say that, that does resonate. Her feeling that way because she wasn't part of that. That's interesting. I didn't think of that when I was reading because I guess I just, I had that experience later in middle school. I don't remember it in elementary school.
0: Yeah, I think she just has this craving to be part of something. You see it again later on when she wants to change her name so mm-hmm. that she can like have a nickname that ends with an I because she says like yeah. all of the girls at school are, jo- are yeah. starting this like I club like Cindy mm-hmm. and Jenny and all of the names that end with I and she just like really wants things that attach her to a larger group because as great as her parents are they definitely like are a little offbeat like they named her Anastasia which is unique and like they haven't involved her in religious organizations that'll set her up for more friends so I think as cool as we as readers think her parents are I can see putting myself in her shoes how like it might feel a little lonely especially if you haven't had siblings before who can kind of relate to the place where you're coming from.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the boy Washburn Cummings. (laughs) I love his name. They have this whole conversation where I believe her mother's first love had two first names and the dad laughs at that. And we sort of have a joke in my family where like, you can never trust somebody with two last names or two first names. And like, (laughs) Listeners, if you have two names that sound like they could be either a first or a last name, please don't stop listening. It's a joke. (laughs) I'm not trying to alienate anyone. I don't even know where that came from, but it made me feel better reading it in this book that it's not something that my family just made up out of thin air. And then Washburn Cummings is Anastasia's crush, and he has two last names. He's older. She immediately calls out that he's African-American and she feels like she needs to like brace her parents for that. And it kind of seems like he's like a little bit of a bad boy.
1: Yeah. I'm not entirely sure what his deal is. What were the... Now I can't even remember. What is the initial story she tells about... Oh, he wore something. He wore, like, a, a bad word on his T-shirt. Was that it? Yeah, he wore... I don't know that it
0: specified what was on the T-shirt, but he wore a T-shirt that, like, caused a stir at mm-hmm. school. And his hair is really tall, which she loves. Because, again, like, she kind of loves anything that feels to her different or, like, a little performative. And mm-hmm. for her, like, those things are different and performative. And he's older, so that catches her eye. But we don't really know exactly why he's a bad boy. I just think it's, like, very clear with the tone of it that, like, he's, like, a little bit dangerous, which for a fourth grader is really funny to think about.
1: (laughs) Right. And also that he is all that dangerous. Right, exactly. (laughs) He's, like, what, two years older than
0: her? (laughs) Yeah. Does it surprise you that she would go for the quote-unquote bad boy?
1: Oh, no. And I thought, so the way she tries to get his attention is by making her hair big like his, <laughs> yeah. because that's what guys want. <laughs> yeah,
0: totally. We all want to be with somebody who has the same hairstyle as we do. <laughs>
1: And then he makes fun of her. She's, like, embarrassed enough that she covers it up. But I do like how she's not just devastated. She's just sort of like, oops, my bad. (laughs) goes on about
0: her way. Yeah, and she has this realization kind of thinking about something that her parents have taught her about. Like, there's a difference between laughing at somebody and laughing with somebody. And, like, one Mm -hmm. of them is very much okay and the other is very much not. And she's like, yeah, he was definitely laughing at me and that's not cool. And like you said, she just kind of walks on from it. (laughs) But yeah, I loved, she tucks
1: her hair in her hat and she she goes on.
0: Yeah. And she I think she goes home like she takes a mental health day, basically.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: That's like so a relic of a different time where like you could just like walk home from school and you didn't have to like call your mom to come pick you up or like mm-hmm. go to the office. Mm-hmm. She's like, just nah, I'm just going to go home. And I think she just like goes to bed for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And I remembered the way that she did her hair. She, I think it said that she put her hair in 14 braids and slept on it. My friends and I totally used to do that in elementary school. And we thought it looked so cool. And my mom is really not very good at braiding. Love you, mom, if you're listening. But, like, she never quite figured out how to braid my hair. And so I used to love going over to my friend's house because she and her mom knew how to braid. And that would be our big activity. It would be to, like, do all the braids in our wet hair. And then you'd wake up and you'd have, like, this curl in your hair. And so I was... Picturing Anastasia looking like that, although I don't think my hair ever got particularly big, so she must have really like zhuzhed it up with a lot of product.
1: Yeah, I was wondering about the physics of that, too, because <laughs> I used to absolutely do that to my hair so it would get wavy, although there, I always started the braids too low, so it was all yeah. like straight, uh-huh. and then it got wavy. <laughs> totally. I know what I was doing, but yeah, the physics of that, I sort of didn't understand how her hair got, like, maybe just poofy, but I don't know how much vertical she was getting out of that, but yeah.
0: maybe just poofy. Lots of hairspray maybe could have yeah. helped, but I do yeah. like that that's how she, that was like her strategy to get washed. for attention detention. Mm-hmm. And again, like, her parents are super cool about the whole thing. And very matter of fact, she makes this big announcement to her parents, like, okay, everyone, I have a crush on a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so different than my own experience. I was always so nervous to, like, tell my parents anything about boys like I remember being terrified especially to tell my dad if I'd been like asked to a dance I was like oh my gosh this is so uncomfortable so the notion of just like going to let my parents know that I liked somebody who didn't even know who I was is hilarious to me because I would have it would have just been so embarrassing and like I said like she's very upfront with her parents but like he's in sixth grade he's african-american like is that okay with you because she's worried that her parents might have an issue with it and her mom says I don't care if you get involved with someone who is African American or." In in the sixth grade I just don't want you to get involved with someone who is insensitive or who is want to trespass on the inviolate memories of childhood in a way that is completely lacking in charity or
1: compassion which is such <laughs> hardcore <laughs> advice from my mom but that's a total dig at the dad and him being upset about her romantic attachment with, with her fifth grade love uh, yeah it's just so like it's just a straight over Anastasia's head conversation. Anastasia's like okay great and like moves on it's like hopefully he won't be like
0: that to me but yeah the whole Washburn Cummings thing is entertaining and I think actually relatable to a lot of adult readers if for no other reason than like she changes her mind a couple of times she's like "Mm, maybe I don't like him anymore and now maybe I do and I was reading a piece in Bustle about like all the reasons that Anastasia Kropnik is still super relatable and has actually aged really well. And that was one of the reasons that the writer of that article cited is that like she can't always quite decide how she feels about things and particularly this boy that she has a crush on.
1: <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I mean, we haven't talked about the device going through the book, but I actually, I found myself really liking it and thinking that it helped a lot. So she makes those two lists, mm-hmm. things I love and things I hate, both exclamation mark, things I love, exclamation mark, things I hate, exclamation mark. And and as she changes her mind about things, like you're saying, you know, she moves one thing. Like parents frequently go from things I hate to things I love back to things I hate. And I I just, I really enjoyed the process of that. Like, I didn't know, at first I was a little skeptical of it, but I really found myself enjoying it a lot as it went along with the narrative.
0: Yeah, I feel like devices like that can kind of be hit or miss. And I felt that way in rereading a lot of middle grade and YA books for SSR. Like, sometimes it really works, and sometimes it really doesn't. And I think in this Mm -hmm. one it does because it's so simple. It's so straightforward, and it reminds me of the kind of thing that I would have done growing up, even if it wasn't like a notebook book that I maintained over a long period of time it might be something that I would just like jot down because I was angry about something like just actually write down the things that you don't like or vice versa if you're feeling happy like the things that that you love the fact that she just happens to maintain it over the course of of all this time is really cool and does break up the book in a really nice way, especially because the chapters aren't particularly connected to each other. It's pretty episodic. like you Especially
1: could, at the beginning, yeah. Yeah,
0: especially at the beginning. like It feels like you could read any one of them independently and jump around. Like You don't really need to read it chronologically. So the fact that these lists separate each chapter like unites, I think, the whole book in a nice way.
1: Mm-hmm. And it also just felt really authentic. Like you said, it felt like something a 10-year-old would do. Make this list and keep it up. And you can just almost feel her fury as she's changing things.
0: Yeah, I also like that she had a list of like the most important things that happened to me when I was 10 and how she like often changes them. Like with the poem, at first, she's like I wrote a wonderful poem, and then she's like, I wrote a terrible <laughs> poem. And then I think she changes it back to, it being a wonderful poem, once she talks to her dad and realizes mm-hmm. that, like, some people just don't understand art. Um, I just like the idea of her having this notebook where she, like, maintained all of these different kinds of memories, and it was, like, her personal filing system. I also found a, a piece in Book Riot about why Anastasia Krupnik was way ahead of her time. And one of the reasons that they cite is that she chronicles her thoughts obsessively. The <laughs> quote that I pulled out is The idea of recording fleeting likes and dislikes was new to me in the 90s. With social media profiles and playlists, the compulsion to keep track of our favorites, seems common today. I thought that was really interesting because I hadn't thought of that, but, like, it actually is kind of a modern idea that, like, it's so important that you chronicle, like, every last detail of what you love and what you don't. Like, Uh that's pretty ahead of its time.
1: No, Anastasia
0: would have a really good Facebook profile. Really thorough. (laughs) I feel like she'd be really good at LinkedIn, too, Like she really, she always updates things right away, which is why I'm really bad at LinkedIn. Like, I just perpetually don't do LinkedIn, which I guess I sort of can do that as somebody who freelances more easily than others. But I feel like Anastasia, anytime, like she would get a promotion or anytime, like she would learn a new skill at work, she'd be like, gotta go update the LinkedIn.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But then she'd probably do something like terrible. I don't even know what, make a terrible LinkedIn error and have to apologize (laughs) or undo it or something. And she'd write like a really (laughs) dramatic
0: email to her whole company
1: and Mm yeah, yeah.
0: Let's talk about her grandmother because I would say her grandmother is the other main relationship that she has in the book although it's it's a distant relationship especially at the beginning I really appreciated the relationship with her grandmother more as an adult because I think that as I've gotten older, as I've watched my own grandparents age, as I've talked to my friends who have have watched their grandparents age and like so many are dealing with grandparents and loved ones who have Alzheimer's and dementia and are just sort of losing touch with their memories and with reality, I think this is actually like a pretty progressive way to talk to kids about what can happen when you get older. I don't know that I ever read another book, certainly not when I was this young about an older person who was going through this kind of an issue with Alzheimer's and Lois Lowry doesn't spell it out quite so clearly but this is pretty mature the fact that like Anastasia is just kind of sitting there and like watching as her grandmother talks about things that happened decades and decades ago and has like really lost touch with even who's in the room but I think that like the way that Anastasia feels about it which is like kind of disgust but then guilt about feeling disgusted like that is Mm -hmm. really relatable even to me now nobody wants to feel uncomfortable with their grandparents but sometimes it's hard not to and that's okay
1: yeah it's interesting that you you point out that children's books are actually to teach kids because I don't really think about that as a reader. I don't know that I thought about that. I don't know that I think about it now. And at first when she has her initial reaction to her grandma and it is disgust and just like, oh, grandma doesn't even know my name. She smells like I just I don't like her being around her. I was sort of like, ooh, this is a little off putting Anastasia because, I, you know, I've been liking you up until now. Yeah. But but then, you know, she she does shift and, and realizes what's sort of going on and she adjusts her mindset, which I thought was so interesting.
0: Yeah. And she has this moment with her where she's like looking at her right in the eye and she realizes that like, maybe she's not actually that scary. She, she actually like sort of realizes that she's a really gentle, nice person. The the excerpt that I pulled out is, the scary claw-like hand smoothed her hair. Funny how soft and nice that felt. If she didn't look Mm -hmm. at the hands, it was okay. If she just looked at her grandmother's moist, kind eyes, everything seemed almost okay. And when I was about Anastasia's age, maybe a little bit younger, which is when I would have read the book, I had a great-grandmother who was still alive, which I I realized that I was pretty lucky to have met my great-grandmother and to have had her for so many years. Um, And we used to go visit her at a nurse home, mm-hmm. and it was a very, like, unglamorous nursing home, not, like, sort of, like, the fabulous, like, retirement communities that a lot of people get to live in, I think, more today than in the 90s, and I do remember in reading this book being like okay I'm not the only one that kind of feels uncomfortable when I have to go to this nursing home like the smells and like you're feeling you're very on display because all the old people are like looking at you and kind of expecting you to perform and like talk to everybody and I just liked that like it was nice to know that it wasn't wrong of me to feel, like, kind of iffy about going there. But then also to realize, like, once you can see past those things, like, your grandmother's a really lovely person, and it's just, you just have to kind of, like, get over that discomfort.
1: I don't know that her parents even prod her that much to get over it. They just let her hang out with her grandma and notice it on her own, which I thought was interesting.
0: Yeah, again, they just kind of, like, let her figure things out for herself. There's a moment, I think, at... In the Christmas scene, actually, where the grandmother makes some mention about, like, wishing that she could be with her husband, Sam, and Anastasia is like, well, I wish you could be with him, too. And she didn't mean it in a nasty way, but I Mm -hmm. think right after it comes out of her mouth, she realizes, like, oh, that actually kind of sounds like I wish you were dead. And she's nervous, and she looks over at her parents, and her parents, like, aren't upset at all. And I liked that, because I think it would be easy for a parent in that situation to be like, no, you need to dial that back. That actually sounded pretty harsh. (laughs) Please don't on Christmas Day like imply to your grandmother that you wish she were dead. It was nice that they were like, nope, that was fine. Like That's cool. Just work it out.
1: Yeah, for sure. And then when she does die, the father takes her to the nursing home to get her things in a way that's just perfectly direct. It's almost casual, like they're going to the store for milk or something. Yeah. And I thought that also, like, I was very struck by just how matter of fact he was about that. Like, no, we have to go here and and get Grandma's things. And then yeah, was there was like, no like drama or trying to shield her from the death or anything. She's like, we we have
0: to go do this. Yeah, it just has to get done. And then there's her comic relief about like, oh, you know, I'll make sure that somebody has my goldfish and like my posters and like all of her mm. kid things. Like, there's always got to be that little dose of comic relief coming from a character like Anastasia, and that's why I love her so much. And that's, I think, why this book overall is done so well. Because, like, yes, she talks about some pretty adult themes, but Anastasia is such the perfect character to, like, deliver it because she has so many great one-liners and moments of just, like, ridiculousness.
1: Oh, yeah, the writing's great. Like, the writing is really, really, really good. It's just the the turns of phrase that Anastasia uses, that Lois Lowry uses, like, it's all... It just seems effortless. It's very fun to read.
0: It's hard for me to believe in reading this that like this is the same person that wrote The Giver and I haven't reread The Giver recently I haven't done it for the podcast yet I'm hoping to do it soon I'm excited having read Anastasia now to hopefully get to read The Giver soon cuz it, it they just really couldn't be two more different books
1: yeah I mean same I haven't read The Giver in forever and I think it was one of my choices from you to read and I definitely picked Anastasia because I think it I just thought it sounded more fun honestly
0: it's way more fun I think The Giver <laughs> will be like an interesting episode but also super heavy so yeah glad we went the fun route and actually yeah. in giving you those choices I may have even forgotten that it was the same author because why wouldn't I have forgotten. It's so, so surprising. I want to go back to the the poem that you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. um, because I think that, like, speaks to a lot of the sort of, like, bigger lessons that Anastasia learns. And it kind of ties into her grandmother's death as well, because there's this whole theme about, like, memories and what makes life worth living. Basically, Anastasia goes to class with her dad, who, as we mentioned before, is a professor at Harvard. And it's funny because she, like, goes and, like, puts on her poetry outfit and is, like, very into the (laughs) whole persona of, like, going to be a poetry student. Uh Uh-huh. And she's sort of, like, surprised by what a pain in the ass her dad's students are. Like, Mm -hmm. they don't really respect him. At the end, she makes some statement about how, like, for the first time, she looks at her dad and she feels bad for him and she's not really sure why, which is, like, something that I've noticed, like, as I've gotten older where, like, you start to see your parents as human and you're like, oh, sometimes you have to deal with things that I have no understanding of and they kind of suck. And, like, thank you for not always putting that in front of my face. But in this moment, Anastasia goes to work with him and sees what he has to deal with every day. So that's kind of a cool moment. But she reads the poem and she has all these ideas about it but in going around the class her dad realizes that like a lot of the students haven't read it or don't really have a lot to say about it and somebody in talking about the poem uses the phrase futility of life with which Anastasia is very curious about And she wants to know what that means. And her dad says, Some people think that there's nothing to look forward to in life, nothing important, nothing that has any meaning for them. Feeling that way makes them bored and grouchy and lonely. Then they want to put a label on why they feel that way. Wilder's label is futility of life, and he sleeps all the time in class because he stays up all night drinking beer and talking about how life has no meaning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just like a very hardcore, like, poetry student kind of take on it and, and Anastasia's again, like that's that dumb feels,
1: that feels like a twist or a, a a brief moment again like Lois Lowry put that in for adults because yeah. it, that just really just speaks to me like sitting here being like what is my purpose like I don't know that many 10 year olds are out there thinking about the futility of life Anastasia certainly not but I really again was just as much struck by that as I was her mom's description of her love affair because that seemed like a very adult thing to relate to.
0: Yeah but then Anastasia Just like, well, that's dumb. Like, there's just (laughs) such a contrast between, like, the adult stuff and then Anastasia's response to it, which is like, okay, noted, moving on. That's stupid. But she does kind of like, I would say she really absorbs this idea of like, what does make life worth living, which is your memories. And she's like, well, I don't have any memories. Like I'm too young. There's kind of this like bittersweet moment where after her grandma dies, she's like, well, now I have memories and it doesn't feel very good.
1: You're talking about what she keeps calling the inward eye. Yeah. That's the, I think that's the phrase she keeps. Like now she has this inward eye and that's the concept she latches onto from the poem. And yeah, I think it's interesting because we're watching a kid figure out her interior life even though she's she's had a rich interior life but she keeps looking what we talked about earlier she keeps looking externally for validation and for you know acceptance but like she's just fine in her own head too i think and that's kind of cool
0: yeah, and then realizing that, like, as she gets older, there are going to be things that she remembers that make her sad, but that just, like, sort of makes her a richer person. But it's still hard. Like, that's your first tragedy as a kid. That's hard to deal with. It's the first person yeah. she's lost. It's sad. Yeah. But, yeah, I think the, the poem was really illuminating for her in some ways, and in other ways she just kind of brushes it off. But speaking to these, like, adult things, sort of, like, the futility of life comment and her mom's love story. Like, there are definitely things in this book that would have gone way over my head as a kid, and I was surprised to read them now. Obviously, those, like, big stories and big concepts in particular, but there are a few other details that I pulled out. The first was that um, when she had a crush on the boy at school, she's talking about, like, the Cosmo magazine that she was reading in the (laughs) drugstore and Jenny was asking her like how do you know you're in love and she was referring to this Cosmo article and she was like well one of the ways that you know is that you find yourself wanting to fulfill all of their fantasies Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the friend Jenny is like well I don't understand what that means because when you're 10 like of course you wouldn't quite understand what Cosmo would be trying to say about fantasies and Anastasia's like well he really seems to like Roberta Flack so I'm going to start singing <laughs> and Jenny's like you didn't even make Glee Club you're a bad singer um, but like it totally would have gone over my head as a kid but like obviously there's sort of this subtext about like what kind of fantasies Cosmo is implying you should be aware of in your significant other that was kind of funny
1: yeah, and even the whole, like, she's even just poking fun at the whole idea of this is how you get a guy. It, and, yeah, the, the book is, now that we're talking about it, it is it is a lot about relationships and what makes them work. Like, looking at her parents' relationships, talking about their past love affairs. Yeah, and, and obviously Anastasia is fumbling around, like, how do I get this guy to like me? And and does not figure it out.
0: <laughs> By seeing Roberta Flack very loudly and badly in public places. It's <laughs> so sad. The other thing that totally went over my head when I was a kid, I don't even remember it, it didn't register for me at all, was that she names her brother, at least in theory, one ball Riley. Mm-hmm. Like her parents give her the responsibility to name her baby brother, and like she's, she's keeping it a secret the whole time. She's like, don't worry, I've already named him. Like, everything's fine. And she writes down the name One Ball Riley because she heard the boys at school talking about some song with with that phrase in it. And it's kind of evil. She's like, ha, ha, ha. Like, I know that there's something weird about this name, but I'm going to give it to my brother anyway. But she doesn't really understand, like, what that really means. But she's just being kind
1: of evil. (laughs) She's just like, I just thought of the worst name and writes it down in her notebook. And you don't find out what it is until much later in the book. And even now, like, I don't know that that name has aged so well. Yeah, it definitely hasn't aged well. I don't know that it sort of was a record scratch moment for me when I suck. So that just feels really terrible. It's terrible.
0: It was terrible then. (laughs) I think it's especially terrible now. But like, the weird thing is, when I read this, when I was nine or 10, I was like, okay, I don't, I don't know what that I was a very naive kid. But I was like, okay, well, that's a weird name, but, like, I don't really get it and just kept on reading. But I actually found out this book has been, like, it was number 29 on the list of the most commonly challenged books of the 90s, which surprises me partially because there are actually a lot of changes. I think you and I both read from a newer edition, um, oh. but the original version had the word shit in it, which is pretty huh crazy for a middle grade book. And there are also more references to alcohol. I think I read in an interview with Lois Lowry that one of the habits that the father had throughout the book was that like every time he would come home, he would pour himself a beer and sometimes he would let Anastasia drink the foam off the top, which she had included Mm. as a detail because it was something her dad used to do. And it was really challenged often by parents. So ultimately those details were taken out. She was like, this is a battle that I just can't win. But the whole series has other things in it. At one point apparently she catfishes someone like she responds to a personal ad and like makes up all these lies about how old she is and actually goes to meet the guy. There's a mention I think somewhere else in the series about a character like casually mentioning that they wanted to kill themselves like there's a lot of details throughout the series that have caused it to become very challenged over the years and I would have had no idea about that because this first book at least in its new edition feels mostly harmless and innocuous.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. You mean like librarians censored it or or they were stopped from reading it in school? Yeah, it's surprising. Yeah, I, I did notice the the dad does ask for a beer when he comes home from the hospital after her brother is born, and she goes and gets it for him. So I did I did definitely notice that detail. I didn't think, like, oh, that's not appropriate for children or anything. But I did notice, like, ooh, beer is mentioned, and yeah. she gets it for him.
0: Yeah, and that detail, I think in particular, doesn't age well, because that's that would not go well in a book written yeah. today for kids. Like, oh, like, daughter, can you go get me a drink? That's not Yeah,
1: but really cool. you know it definitely. Still happens, like all the time. All the time, America (laughs) (laughs) having their ten-year-olds fetch them beer. Yeah, or even younger. Like when their kids don't know any better, they're probably just like, "Go get daddy that can in the fridge." Like that's definitely happening.
0: Yeah, my husband I think would like to like train our dog to get him a beer. So like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, this is it's still going on. But I thought it was interesting that a book that seems like so innocent has sort of a, a little bit more of a scandalous history. Interesting that it had the word shit in it. Who
1: knew? Yeah. I wonder when it when
0: it comes up. So overall like I had some ideas about generally kind of what lessons I thought the book was trying to teach. And and we don't always talk about this on the show, but I think because this is sort of a book where like nothing happens, I did want to talk about it because I feel like in all of the nothingness that happens, there are still some key lessons that Lois Lowry is trying to teach. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like very subtle, but it works. And um, I'm just curious if you had any thoughts about like maybe what those key takeaways are for Anastasia and in turn for readers.
1: I mean, I feel like the, one of the huge ones is just acceptance, because by the very end of the book, her things I don't like list is one item, which is liver. And yeah. she's decided it's OK to hate liver forever. But literally everything else has moved to the light call. I mean, her grandma, her new baby brother, her parents, her teacher And and, and throughout the book, each one of those things shows a different side. Like her teacher that she hates calls her when she hears about her grandma dying just to express her sympathy. And Anastasia is really touched by that. And and so, yeah, I mean, I think a huge lesson is like, don't judge people by the first thing you feel about them, which is that you hate them.
0: (laughs) Yeah, people can surprise you. I think also just like that the world doesn't revolve around her, which was like a function of her becoming an older sister. Mm -hmm. And having to, like, deal with the fact that her parents had other things going on than, like, dealing with her shenanigans all the time. Um, I did want to quickly close the loop because I realize I forgot to mention this. She does not, in the end, name her brother One Ball Riley. Uh, She names her brother Sam, which is very lovely because her brother is actually born on the day, um, the day after or the day of her grandmother's death. And they decide, or she decides, to name... The baby Sam in otter of her grandfather who was the really the only person that her grandmother was talking about in the last days of her life so no one ball Riley it actually ends up being kind of lovely the way that part of the book wraps up. So in wrapping up this conversation, I'm curious, did rereading Anastasia Krupnik make you love it and appreciate all the more, or did it make you hate it in some ways, and what ways did it maybe not hold up for you?
1: Oh, no, I really loved it. I appreciate it more. It's absolutely the character of Anastasia. And you're right, nothing happens, but a lot happens in a kid's life. Like these things that are happening to her are monumental. You know, she gets a baby brother, grandma dies. No, I definitely appreciated it more. I appreciated the craft. I appreciated the storytelling, the way it just moves along and the writing. I thought it was wonderful. I agree. I loved
0: it. I kind of wish that I had more memories of reading the Anastasia series because I loved reading it now so much. I'm like wondering why it wasn't more of a standout in my memory, but Glad I had a chance to reread it now. Now that we're done talking about Anastasia, I'm curious are there other <laughs> books that you've read recently, not middle grade, not YA, that you would recommend <laughs> to our SSR listener community?
1: You know, it's interesting. Um, I just read Shout by um, Lori Halsey Anderson, and, and she is primarily a middle grade writer um, with her classic Speak. But she has this new book out. And I think it is a little bit targeted toward kids, but it's not really a kid's book. It's a memoir and it's written in um, poetry, which at first I was sort of like,, oh, I don't know how I feel about reading a memoir in verse, but it really it works really well and it's I don't know, it's impactful, but also like quick to read. Um, yeah, so I definitely I would recommend that I just finished that. I'm not qu- I'm almost done with how to build a girl. Which um is wonderful. I'd never read any of Kaylin Moran's um fiction. I'd only read her nonfiction and how to build a girl is really good so far.
0: I've heard nothing but good things about Shout and we actually did an episode about Speak a few weeks ago and so I was oh, like anticipating you did. Interesting. yeah I was anticipating Shout coming out because I had just spoken about it. Um, I think I actually recorded that interview like two weeks before Shout came out. I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet, but I've just heard rave reviews and I'm excited to read it because I read Speak like six weeks ago. So it's mm-hmm. fresh in my mind. Um, but I'll include links to the books that you recommended, including Shout on yeah, the show for notes sure for this do. episode. Yeah, because I think, I think people should check that out, especially if they enjoyed our conversation about Speak. Um, Lori Hall's Anderson is, is such a beautiful writer.
1: Yeah, I interviewed her on Friday um, just for an event, and I really enjoyed talking with her and learning about her process. And just she's an amazing writer, but she does so much advocacy for victims of sexual assault and sexual abuse. And I really like she's she walks what she writes about. I'm trying to like mess with the phrase. she walks, talks the walk. <laughs> so, like she she does. She lives what she writes about. And so for her to write this memoir now, it's it's worth a read for sure, if you like her.
0: Well, listeners, check that out. I'll include the link to to buy that in the show notes, as well as a link to Anastasia Krupnik for those who want sort of like a hilarious walk down memory lane of what it's like to be 10 years old. And I, of course, will include a link to text me when you get home, because as I said, huge fan over here. And I'm really grateful to you, Kayleen, for taking the time to chat with me about this book and also to read it, because I know that it's not always convenient to slot in like a middle grade book casually (laughs) into your reading
1: schedule. No, it was nice. It was actually, it was It was a pleasure thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed our talk and I definitely enjoyed reacquainting myself with Anastasia.
0: She's a good one. She's a good pal. All right. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Bye Kayleen. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast.